1: if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today.
0: RV parks. That's That's got to be the most exciting thing I've said to you today.
1: Oh, dude, I just got chills. I don't know if you know that, like. I just I just gave Cousin Eddie a high five over here uh, at the house.
0: <laughs> if Cousin Eddie could make near the money that you could park in him at one of these parks, I would be an investor with you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not let's going just, to be. Let's just say our guest today, Ian Bernstein, is a master at understanding how to make RV parks profitable, and he, he does a great job of explaining all of the different places in an RV park that could make money for an investor. And as he's saying it, I'm like, I am missing the boat. Cousin Eddie is dragging me down. I've got to be a part of these RV parks. This is where the money's at.
0: If he would have, I mean, maybe Eddie has led you to... The proverbial dollar, man. Maybe because of the RV park, we had the conversation with Ian. Otherwise, maybe we would not have been interested in it. Like, ah, I can't be that much money in that stuff. But whenever he starts saying, "No, I've got water parks that are earning thousand dollars a day," no, thousand
1: dollars an hour.
0: Oh, an hour. You missed that, Russ. Come on. Well, you know, I mean, listening is not always my strong suit. We, I think, we covered that in a previous episode. That's a struggle <laughs> for men, right? Listening. <laughs> Yeah I, yeah, I agree. Like it is like, golf carts, apple Apple cannons is something they told us after we uh, stopped, stopped pressing record. Like I'm just fascinated by the the revenue-generated opportunities in the RV space, something that you and I had looked into briefly but without any level of expertise. And right? didn't know who
1: to talk to about it. There's not many experts out
0: there. There's not. And, and I think that that's why this is such a – and really cool kind of blue ocean type opportunity because the space is still fragmented. It's still mom and pop centric. And that's where people are coming in with money are able to take it, take kind of new technology, new insight, bringing, you know, flair to the space. And then people like yourself who are traveling in RVs across the country are looking for those kind of places to stay in not the place that i stayed in because my place ian today talked about his rv parks are all on water and the little park that i i took your little cousin eddie down to at the beach i didn't go to the beach i was like five miles off the beach and i and they did have water it was a a fishing pond the size of a, a good size puddle in my backyard Well, let me say this. The thing that we didn't talk
1: about today with Ian, which I think we should, and it gives validity to this idea, is that RV parks, if you haven't thought about this, are a new answer to affordable housing. There are more people that are living year-round in these type of parks because it's literally the cheapest possible way that they can live, and it gives them the freedom or flexibility to be able to move
0: somewhere else if need be so So, here's one of the things that i I didn't get a chance because we're at the end of the episode. So i'm going to ask you about this i want to i do i don't want to sour the episode but i you know me the contrarian is always thinking of something he made a comment toward the end that rv parks are one of the most affordable or rv travel is one of the most affordable ways to travel (sighs) quantify that for me because my personal experience did not meet that I think
1: what he means by that is for long-term type of travel. and And what I mean by that is the people that I met on the road uh, when we were doing our big trip last year, some of them were year-round people, and you're, you're talking about they didn't buy necessarily the super nice, you know uh, land yacht, if you will. They bought the pull behinds, and they had a truck. And they all piled into it and they drove that thing around and they would get these year round passes that they would be able to stay at any park for free because they paid a year yearly pass. So it it made them decide where they were going to go and stay at these particular parks so that they could get in essentially for free. And the amount that that would cost you compared to, you know, going and staying at hotels and or flying someplace or whatever it may be, um, even with gas considerations and maintenance issues, I could see what he's talking about. It is significantly cheaper for that person. Now, if you're going to rent Cousin Eddie and and go out there for like a month, it's going to be an expensive bill
0: because he's on a nightly basis. Um, Well, Well, that's what I was saying. Like I rented Cousin Eddie and then I rented the place down there and I was like, Six hundred bucks in, seven hundred bucks in before gas, and I'm yep. like, I mean, for for two nights where I stayed, like I could have been down there for four hundred fifty bucks plus gas on a car, which would have been obviously significantly cheaper. So, like for me, I was like, that wasn't cheaper, but maybe it's because I only did two nights. If I would have stayed, like,
1: well, I'm thinking, I like think he's talking about when you own something and you use it over and over and over again. The actual value could be a lot cheaper, especially okay. if you're getting those annual passes. Well, e-
0: either way, I don't care. I want to be a part of the ownership of the RV park. <laughs> I don't care if it's cheaper or not. I think people think it is. And I'm with you. I went to a place that was not fancy at all, and at least 80 f- 80% of the slots were full. Yeah. And it was not a real amenity. They had a swing set, you know, like that was, they, they had a, a quote unquote fishing pond. Like, I mean, yeah, that when when you can throw your line across the pond uh, and hit it on the other bank, like that was what I was trying not to do. It's like, I was like whoosh, you know, trying to stop it before it got across the pond so that I can stay in the water. That's not an amenity, but that place was packed. It was packed yeah. out. And, and I, I know that there's got to be money in that. I, I'm super excited to hear Ian jump into our passive income mastermind in March and, and share. Hey, I know you're, you're sharing that right now. WealthWallStreet.com, four slash club 200. If you're an accredited investor and you're looking to, uh, build passive income to exceed your monthly expenses, not by one time, but two times to get to 200%. That's the reason why we call it club 200. We want to build a legacy. We want to be, um, a more well-rounded investor that group exists for you to be able to connect with other people to find opportunities for passive income but also find ways to reduce taxes Uh, i hope that you'll join us in there joey let's not take any more time away from our interview today with ian bernstein welcome to the wealth without wall street podcast your guide to understanding how to get out of the wall street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey
1: Murray. If you've ever wanted to get away and have a great escape, you're in In for a treat today, Ian Bernstein with SPM Advisors is joining us. Ian, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for
0: having me, guys. And I thought this was like a travel commercial, Joey. That you're going into. I didn't know. I didn't know where you're going, Ian. It's not. I'm excited. Like we're getting to talk about RV parks today. Like
1: what could be better? This is huge, man. What could be better?
0: I'm, Joey I'm bought really... an RV and all he could talk about is RV parks, everything RV. So this was an easy conversation for us to have. Ian, thank you for coming on the show. I, I do want to jump into a story though. I, I want to come back to maybe before you were in the RV park space. Take us back to 2007. You're, you're sitting down with some business partners and you're thinking um, about the opportunity that they're presenting you.
2: I want you to kind of let everybody know what's going on and, yep. and how
0: that transaction transfolded.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's a fun story. Uh, kind of got my start. So, yeah, we uh, in 2006, we had an exit. Uh, we had a small storage, uh, self storage portfolio. Three properties did exceptionally well on it. Uh, we were doing all the kinds of real estate and uh, all kind of residential and some a uh, little bit of industrial. And so uh, my partners came to me and said, you know, let's be full partners now. I said, that's great. No more salary. Great. Um, I want to take more equity. Perfect uh and uh met with them and they presented me a deal that was you know impossible for anybody in my position to take i mean it was no salary no sweat equity no fees at all for doing the work basically shoulder to shoulder same terms with them while they were running their business and i was running this for the three of us and so i said you know it's just not workable i said uh i'd be better off going on my own uh and one of the partners said uh you know you're not ready you'll never make it yeah (laughs) i guess we'll see he said, you're quitting. I said, yeah, you really left me no choice. And so I walked out, uh, called my wife and said, uh, I just quit. We actually just were pregnant with our second. And uh she says, good, you got this.
0: So, wow. so basically you were then at the point you're quitting. So they're in essence buying your shares out.
2: Yeah. So we, the way it ended up progressing over a period of time was, uh, you know, we'd sold the storage and then we had i thought i was be working full-time we were doing uh in fact i was going to move to uh charlotte north carolina we had eight developments residential developments of, totaling over two thousand uh lots and uh, i was prepared to move there uh for a period of time to see these all through and uh eventually they said to me if you're leaving us you got to be out of this business too we're gonna we're gonna buy you out and they kind of forced a sale on me which You know, ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me because, uh, you know, a year later, the whole world tanked. And so. (laughs) Oh, wow. So in
0: 2007, as you're listening in say this, 2007, it doesn't take a rock (laughs) science to go back and realize where the world was. Everything's on the top. Right. I mean, I'm sure they didn't want to pay you top dollar, but you still got a decent amount of money. And the other thing that you're getting ready to do was start a the real estate development business. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, they bought you out and they said, by the way, you can't participate in our real estate development business that a year later was worthless.
2: Uh, I worthless would have been a good result. I and mean, it was, it was, bad, <laughs> it was bad. It was tough. I thought, I actually am very close now with those guys. Uh, one of them i stayed close the whole time. Another one we've, you know, we've, we've reconnected and, and, uh, they were really good to me. Uh, I learned a ton uh And that was just you know dumb luck on my part um but uh and I would never have wished that on them and um but it just i mean it was a monstrous collapse, as everyone knows, and yeah, being in the development business and being at the stages that we were at it, i mean I was on the guar- the personal guarantee on all those deals, so part of my leaving was getting my name off all the guarantees uh got all my equity back and made a you know little little something for it, and uh been you know, the world has a funny way of work, <laughs> it was very wow. for me, so.
1: so. So yeah, this is like the golden child story is what I'm hearing at this right. point. Um, so where did the golden child go from here? Like what was the
2: next step after that? Yeah, so I, that? I really had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, I had no clue. Um, at the time, I was using uh, technology in real estate, um, using all this data to try to locate better sites for development and for, and, and actually was working with some other clients trying to uh, help them find locations. And I thought I was going to do a lot of that. Um, and then about six, seven months later, uh, I actually met my now partner. Uh, coincidentally, I was, I had my broker's license and somebody you know, wanted me to buy their storage portfolio. Uh, didn't work for me. He came in to see it. He was actually ironically dating somebody in town. He's from Boston. Uh, I, was in the car with him was like, you know, six properties all over the state of Michigan. So we're driving around all day. He's yelling at his old partners. I'm yelling at mine, talking to our attorneys. Like it's this whole, and I'm like, Oh my God, their stories sound identical. We both had just sold to the same guy. um, Almost the identical time. And we started talking. And then from that conversation a week later uh, we had a signed deal with an equity partner. And four months later we owned eight properties. So it was that fast. Wow. It was crazy. And, I, I was working out of a tiny office that I shared with somebody. It was me, him, and our, each of our assistants. And at one point, you know, at a 1,500-square-foot office, there was like I had eight people working for me uh, before our new office was ready, and we're just jammed in there and just cranking out. That's just a tremendous amount of work.
1: And, and to be clear, this was, when you say properties, you're talking now in the self-storage. Thing. Self-storage properties, yeah. So
2: okay. that business was great for us i mean just continued
1: uh, on in in the success you had previously
2: yeah i mean uh yeah so we bought the properties and then obviously you know the recession hit uh and so we were you know in a standstill for about a year you know banks weren't really doing you know they were just in shock and they weren't really taking back properties just yet and so we uh we finally got our lender came to us uh, everybody else was renegotiating deals and getting a lower rate or marking down some of their their debt. Um, we were doing too well, and our investors our banks wouldn 't do anything for us and so ultimately, we just got extensions on our loans and we were the only ones without any kind of blood on our hands and so uh, all of a sudden, the banks started calling us and bringing deals to us and we uh, I signed on a, just an obscene amount of you know, I signed about seventy five million dollars of personal guarantees, and we went out my partner and i and we bought just under 70 properties in, in eight States between the end of 19 and beginning of 13. And um, I was on a plane two, three times a week. I mean, I was working 16, 17 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. And, you know, we were managing ourselves buying the properties, improving them. And, uh, we just built a great team around us and then kind of 13 hit and we started refinancing everything and take our, our name off everything and basically returned back all of our investor equity already. Um, and you know, we were buying things 20, 30 cents of the dollar. And then finally in 14, 15, and since then we've now sold everything. We had a huge, uh, we sold 37 assets at one time in uh, at the end of 15. Wow. And, uh, and our investors made six, seven times our money.
0: So, and I know that you've, you've recently moved to a different space, but I, before we go there, what was it about the storage facility space. We've heard that. We've actually had a, a previous guest that talked about the storage area as kind of recession yeah. proof, right? Like when pe- people are constantly storing yeah. their stuff and if they're moving out of homes and having a downsize, a lot of times they got to put the stuff somewhere, right? And I saw that with my in-laws in 2015. They sold a lake house and they went, you know, took all the lake house furniture and shoved it in a storage unit for two years. Yeah. And they were like, why did we do that? We don't need it. And they just sold it. But yeah,
2: but that's no, what happens, that's right? Great. No, absolutely. I, so listen, I, I got into it the same way everybody else does, right? No one. Now it's different. I mean, back in 2000, it was not very, you know, it was not so common, right? There was very few banks making loans in the space, very little institutional money in the space. Um, you know, there was a couple of REITs. Uh, you know, now there's there was three. Now there's six, um, and uh, it just was not like a really well-known space at the time. And I got into it because my partners at the time, uh, before I left the law firm, they were building another trucking facility about 60 miles away from the office. And they had a bunch of land. Uh, they only, and we bought a 47 acre parcel. I was a partner on the deal. We needed like four of the acres for the trucking company, and the rest was on a busy street. Um, and uh, they said, We're paving all these, uh, you know, paving and trucking for all these uh, storage buildings. You know, there's got to be something to it. Go figure it out. So hired a consultant, went to a couple of trade shows. Next thing I know I got a shovel on the ground we're, we're we're building out our first facility, uh, loved it, built out a second one and we built a third. Um, and, uh, it's just, I mean, it's been an incredible business, but it is, it is very much unrecognizable, uh, to where it was 22 years ago. And I, I speak about it a lot and in, you know, in full transparency, I will probably get back into it here in short order, uh, in a kind of a unique model. But, uh, you know, you gotta believe things can't continue like this forever at some point. There'll be other buying opportunities and that's when I'll get back in full full. Well, so when you,
1: when you say it's unrecognizable to 20 years ago, in what ways?
2: You would be hard pressed to find a private equity fund that does real estate deals that is not either in storage already or looking to be in storage. They probably don't exist.
1: So it's just um, it's just attracted that institutional money so so heavily that it's yeah. hard for the, the
2: investor like you and I to get right. the so, profits that we want. So numbers don't lie. Right. So if you look at, at just the REITs over the last 20 years, by far the best performing REIT class has been storage. It's not even there's not even a close second. I I, and I actually kind of would, would kind of refute a comment you made earlier. I would not say it is store. it's a uh, recession proof i'd say it's recession resistant it definitely performed better than most but trust mm-hmm. me i i've got a friend who we end up buying and selling a bunch of properties to one another we're partners on a couple things together and uh you know at one point during the recession they lost 60 70 properties to the bank right so it's not it's certainly not bulletproof um but it is certainly better and uh it is definitely a, a great asset class. It's way harder than people think, by the way.
0: Well, it's what more- you say is the connection then, what, why RV parks? What, what was it that you yeah. what you saw in them that was not a, in, the, in the same line of, of storage
2: facilities? Yeah. Well, I'll take just a quick step back. So really, after we started selling our storage facilities, I wanted to diversify. And so and all my investors were calling me because we did so well for them. And they say, what's next? And so they wanted us to find more opportunities which i was happy to do and I, you know i know enough to be dangerous about the uh, apartment world and we did some student housing we did a cold storage facility a couple of industrial buildings and so our, our model was really to go you know we're not you know money raisers but we bring our investors to deals and we become a general partner in certain areas that we feel strongly about the opportunity but even more strongly about the operator so uh my partner in the rv space uh is a guy by the name of ricky jenkins and ricky owns a company called the jenkins organization and they um we were in a best practice group together in self storage i put this together got kind of a long time ago there were six of us around the country that were not uh in competing locations and we would get together two three times a year and share ideas uh ricky and i became good friends and you know our like our marketing people would meet without us our financial people would you know talk about how they account for things our operational folks would meet and so we it was a great thing to do when i was heavy into you know the storage management um and so ultimately you know ricky and i became good friends you know as i started selling a bunch of assets he started selling a few as well and we kind of started talking what's next and he said i'm kind of working on something my team is really you know, a bunch of my team members used to work in the rv space and they're really pushing me i've spent some time i think there's something there he goes, I'm working on a business plan. I'll get it to you. That's said, great. So he sent it to me. I mean, I started reading it within five minutes. I knew that this is, you know, genius. And so really what I like most about it is it's really storage 25 years ago, right? Storage back in the day, you know, if you build it, they will come, you know, you buy a uh, piece of land, you put the book, the building up, you buy a yellow page ad people will come very different today and but today you, you, the, all the same metrics exist you know you got fragmented owners tons of mom and pop very few institutional players lack of financing available and it's very expensive to build so there's a lot of uh, inhibitors for just people coming into the space
1: so that same institutional buyer who's heavy in the self storage isn't it's, it's this isn't on their radar yet is is what
2: you're saying it's coming it's, it's really, uh, we're already starting to see it. A new REIT just formed. Um, it's, uh, prices already creeping up, competition's creeping up. There's more bidders on the deals. Um, it's, it's coming, And so we're really trying to get out there as much in front of it as we can. Um, we've already bought 16 parks. We've placed, uh, just over hundred million of equity and about, you know, another 125 million of debt. Uh, and we're currently doing another fund that's actually going to raise another $100 million of equity.
0: So, tell me about the play in RV parks. Where do you see the cash flow?
2: So, it's interesting. So, there's a couple of different ways to do it. Um, you know, there's different kinds of parks, right? There's parks that, uh, that people live at, right? You'd be, the numbers are staggering. I mean, the numbers of RVs that exist out in the country right now are, are, are incredible. And you've also got, you know, Thor Industries, which is the, the leader in, in building RVs has a $14 billion backlog uh, of product that they need to build. And so you could have parks where people live. You also have seasonal parks where people will pay for the year. And it's almost like having a second home, right? Like people will leave their RV there in the off season um, and they pay for the whole season. What we're really focused on right now are these family parks, right? A destination park. And so as long as they're within you know two, three hours of ma- major um, you're going to get a ton of activity. And so we go out, we 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 have first class parks that we build. You know, we'll buy things below replacement cost. So we'll buy an existing park and then we usually put in, you know, we'll double or triple uh the amount that we put in for the acquisition in improvements. So it's always on water. We always add in a water park. We have all kinds of uh amenities. Like we have things called wibbits, which are you know kind of uh playgrounds in the in the water, we'll have boat rentals, we'll have fishing, we'll have Pickleball courts, there's any sport you can imagine, there's um, arts and crafts. Uh, it's like going to camp. I mean, your kids are completely entertained. I mean, there's uh, just, an, an, just an enormous amount of things to do when you get there.
0: I just read this comment. It was so drawing joy. I wanted to share it. I realized that my time is not really mine, it's my company's. Now I have to stop negotiating my time for money. And I need to start working to become financially free.
1: That's exactly how I felt when my daughter Adler asked me on the way to school, Dad, can you pick me up from school today? And I had to say, no, baby, I
0: have to go to work. That's where I drew the line. In order for you to be clear on the things you need to do and stop doing and to know who you need to become so that you can stop trading time for money, join us right now at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com. Slash passport. Now let's get back to this episode. How did you guys settle on they always are on water? What was it about that that attracted you?
2: Just the amenity. It's uh, you know, you need to have people you know, want to come to your place, right? You got to have things that's attractive to them, and so you know, it's a summer activity, right? We're really we make hay basically, you know, memorial to Labor Day. Um, we've been now because the weather is you know has changed. Anybody could argue why it is, but it's changed. Uh, and the falls have actually become better. Uh, we actually are still getting people out there through Thanksgiving now. So we're getting things like uh, Halloween weekends or Thanksgiving weekends, and we're working on you know some tailgating weekend, you know tailgate weekends, so people come watch college football on Saturday and NFL on Sunday, and just try to you know squeeze more days out of the year.
0: Is there something that like from from that you mentioned water parks? That's huge. What other sorts of uh, revenue are you guys finding opportunities to be able to enhance? Because you guys aren't just building ground up; you're you're buying mom and pop stuff. So,
2: so we are building four now. Two are almost done. Um, one's under construction, and then the fourth is a little bit delayed with uh, just some approvals. But um, really, it's uh, there's great opportunities. I mean, there's little things along the way. So, for example, uh, when you're doing a seasonal park, you know the average person we'll spend about $2 a day at the restaurant and the, and the store on, on site, right? The people that are the dailies spend over $34 a day per person, right? We now have great amenities. So we start charging a resort fee. Um, it's amazing to me that uh, people you know want to have golf carts to get around the property. Um, we will make more money on the golf cart rental than on the RV rental for the space. Um, We have a property last year that we did over a million dollars of our just golf cart rental. Uh, The Wibbits that I mentioned, which are, you know, those play structures in the water, you know, there's like rock climbing things on there. There's things you jump off, you propel someone else into it and slides. Those things generate a thousand dollars an hour of profit on the weekends. That's amazing. Yeah. And the store, we do great in the store. And then, you know, we get food trucks, we bring on the property and one of them has like a margarita cart that drives around and is busy all day long and you know we have pizza and ice cream and donuts all you know all the kind of stuff you 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 sell to make a lot of money on and then uh and then what's really been a great revenue generator for us is uh kind of the change of the the parks is that we have two things we have glamping tents which become very popular and then we have these cabins uh last year the cabins were rented for the full season by mid-april uh these cabins are great so you know, uh, Joey, you've got an RV and Ross, if you wanted to, you know, and you, you and your family wanted to go with them on a trip and you didn't have an RV, you could either drive out there with them or follow them. And then, you know, Joey and his family stay in the RV, you stay in the cabin, um, in the cabin, you know, air conditioned, two bedroom, you know, flat screen TV, a, a mini kitchen, you know, bathroom. And so it's a, a huge deck usually, and they're usually on the water. Um, and so those things have been wildly popular. In fact, They're so popular, we've not been able to find any to purchase. So we actually, our biggest supplier, the guy we like the best, we bought out his whole inventory for 2022, and he actually became a significant investor uh, in our last fund.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. So, So it sounds like to me, it's a similar model to like a multifamily syndication in the sense that you find something that you know is undervalued, that you have the expertise and the ability to add additional re- revenue streams that yeah. then increases the multiple you're able to get on the back end is this is the ultimate kind of play to kind of build that value and sell quickly yeah. is it to build the value refinance out and continue to hold long term what's ultimately like your 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 overall
2: strategy so great question uh, first it is generally similar to apartments you know in the, in the sense of the structure the key difference here is you have a lot more levers to pull and be more creative. You know, you're pretty limited what you can do in apartments. Right. So, you know, our play is to, you know, to buy the, you know, generally speaking, the people we're buying from, it's usually a husband and wife who've been operating the park for 15 years living there and, and they're exhausted. Right. And they're going to make a great exit for them. They're thrilled. Um, they just don't have it in them anymore to, to make the things, you know, changes that we do. I mean, we're very sophisticated in how we do things Our you know, our software, if, you know, certain places filling up quicker, we'll, you know, raise the rents, you know, dynamic pricing. There's all kinds of areas to, to, you know, to improve revenue, but it takes money to be able to build those things out too. Right. And a lot of people either a don't have it or don't want to spend it. Right. Um, I mean, we bought a park, in Ohio Ohio uh, in May for it was right around three million bucks and the sellers were making they were making a half million dollars a year. They were clearing, right? They're probably thrilled with that amount. They don't need to go and invest three million dollars to build a water park or you know, spend on like four million dollars to add on another hundred pads. I mean, they're just not gonna do that, right? So that's what we do. And management's key. So um there's uh some people are probably familiar with Jellystone parks. They've probably seen the signs around off the highway. Uh Jellystone is uh uh, they manage about 85 parks uh, around the country, and they don't manage it. It's actually a franchise model. And their, their VP of operations, who was in charge of all 85 parks, came to work for us a year and a half ago. Uh, and she's wonderful and uh, has tremendous connections through the space. And uh, actually, she's been very critical in helping us acquire and find and acquire new sites as well. Uh, she's out there teaching classes on how to manage facilities. So people know her.
0: Is there a specific area? I mean, I, I know you mentioned being on the water and you just mentioned Ohio. Is there a specific demographic that tends to, you know, lend themselves to going to an RV park? So like, obviously we're in the South, you're, you're in the Midwest. Is there an area that you guys are focusing on or you think that's a hot opportunity? T- tell us a little bit about that.
2: So we're already in 10 states. Uh, we're, we have one under contract in Alabama, uh, Chestnut Bay. Nice. We have another one uh, look at Missouri, but to answer your question, we, we go through, we use data and analytics, you know, very thoroughly. So we have all the data about where people are that have, um, you know, who own RVs. So we know a lot about that. And then a lot of it boils down to drive times from major metropolitans. So um, we bought one in December uh, in a city called uh, Bremen, Georgia. Um, uh, Bremen's kind of out there and it's not in a metropolitan area at all, but it is, uh, you know, it is certainly a, uh, a great location because it's less than an hour from Atlanta. It's less than an hour from Birmingham. It is, uh, and I think Chattanooga and Knoxville, it's within a good drive time as well. So we pull from, you know, a number that's like 15 million people. Right. And we could tell you how many people own RVs in those areas. So, um, we're really you know high on that opportunity and so a lot of it depends on what the you know the guts of the original park are right this one is something we're just going to be able to expand significantly um you know we bought it for 10 million we're going to put another 20 million into it um and uh you know one of the biggest changes that's also happened is there's uh there's sites that are out there that are just like airbnb like one's called outdoorsy uh, yeah and you're able to uh use your rv like an airbnb and so your rv that used to go out maybe go out with your family three times a year your rv can go out 20 times a year now
1: yes so, uh, that's exactly the platform that we use for cousin eddie you know my my uh pride and joy uh and, and just to, just to give context like if you've never been on an rb trip and you haven't experienced this what ian's talking about is a huge opportunity because I can't tell you from here to California and back, the number of places that we visited, all of them had a different way that you pay, a different rate that you pay. And it varied from the little place that was like, hey, um, just drop by the office. And if we're not there, just leave the money under the mat kind of thing. Um, it's $27 or whatever for the night. And then there's the one just down the street. That's $150 a night for the same. I mean, for literally just one night kind of rental. Yeah. And I mean, it was so, it was so different. Like the whole process. Um, I, I, I can see exactly what you're saying. And in, in some places had all these amenities and they were booked solid and other places had, very little to do other than just park and they had people that lived there year round as you mentioned so it's a it's a it's a wide open space and so for you guys to apply a very strategic business model to the space couple that with the pandemic and people just needing to get away because they're stuck at home they're working at home they're everything is is right there they have no outlet now they're buying RVs and they're just saying, "Let me just get out of town." So,
0: Stallion, is there a question in there somewhere? I, hey, I'm just validating. Okay, can I validate <laughs> I my brother here? Uh, all right, I, I got a question for you. And so we, we we've we've pumped it up, but the skeptics out there are saying, "Asking Russ, asking what what's the downside? Where's the negatives? Where where are the things that I, I need to be thinking about?" A second ago, we were talking about storage uh, facilities. You said, I'm going to refute the uh, recession proof, but res- recession resistant, right? So yeah. talk to us about RV parts. Talk to us about the, the areas that you guys are having to mitigate risk in.
2: So one of the things I like the most is that they're, you know, as far as once they're up and running. I you know, I find I struggle to find some of the the holes, right? I mean, I would tell you, you know, first thing people think is gas prices, right? But there's been study after study that that does not impact it, right? Uh, it is still, regardless of what you do, it is the most affordable way for a family to travel. You just cannot find a more affordable way; it does not exist, right? So, gas would have been one of them. The other would be uh, labor, right? So, we struggled this year uh, a bit. Um, we've made, uh, we've implemented a bunch of new procedures, uh, with technology that allow us to, um, kind of fill some of those voids where, uh, you know, payment methods, things like that. a lot of it's gonna be through kiosk, right? So there's some things that we can do that are certainly going to help and reduce our labor requirements, but that's definitely uh, a concern. And then the other one would be construction prices, which has certainly, uh, have gone up since we've, you know, done some of our budgets and. We've had to make adjustments there, but it has not – You know, all things considered, it is, is a, it's a small uh, impact overall on the project. But I, I'll tell you, um, we uh, – you sometimes get off to a slower start than you want because of supply chain or labor issues, right? So uh, we've had a couple parks that first year have been challenging the last year or two. Uh, but by the second year, those issues are all gone and we've caught up. And so the three parks that we've owned now for two full seasons, going into our third year, all three of those were refinancing and pulling out 100 percent of the equity, right? And we think returns are still going to be in the high teens on your initial investment. So our plan on this fund is do the same. I think we, you know, within five years we refinance the whole fund. We think you'll get back most, if not all, your money, and uh, and still get returns. So I think you asked me a, a little while ago, which I neglected answer was like, what's the, the plan? And the plan is uh, if I give back people their money and they're still, you know, if you put in a hundred thousand dollars and you got it all back and you year four or five plus some already returned, and then I can get you $20,000 a year, uh, you'd kill me if I sold it. Right. right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, until such factors come along that, you know, really pushes to sell, whether it's, you know, the assets getting old and tired, and it's going to require a lot of capital expenditure, and we don't want to do that. Or we get an offer that's so obscene that we have to take it
0: and and if if the the big institutional money is getting in the space then you don't worry about because what i was listening to is we're buying a park for three million we're going to put another four to ten million into it right so clearly you're going to start to weed out the the individual buyers you're going to have to get into big institutional monies that's going to be the purchaser of your of your end product but what you're saying is that you're already starting to see that. You saw it happen in the storage space, so you know that at some point it doesn't matter if the assets were fifteen or twenty million dollars. It's just cash flow on that is all they're looking for.
2: Yeah, there's uh there are definitely uh three players right now that would, you know, if we told them we'd sell, we could make a fortune. Right. There's no doubt in my mind, all three would buy us. And uh which I found here's a fascinating fact. So we we just uh, our last fund we thought would take us two years to fill out it only took us about six months. Uh, we just happened to find four great projects, Raised the money real quick anyway. So you know we raised uh, like forty eight and change, forty eight million and change. Uh, literally did it with an email out to my investment group base, and they sent to friends, they sent to friends, and the next thing I knew the thing was full uh, in about sixty days or so. But uh so we we got the four parks purchased and we just got our financing in place uh we got the appraisals back on three of the four parks one of them the appraisal came back 17 more uh evaluation of 17 more than our all-in capital one was 14 million The other was 11. so uh that was shocking to me usually appraisals uh <laughs> don't go back that that uh favorable but uh just shows you you know, by creating this value, you know, what we, what we're able to do.
0: Man. So, so cool. I, I'd love to sit here and talk RVs with you, but we gotta, we gotta go. Um, I, I know that you're going to be sharing inside of our passive income mastermind coming up a lot more detail, especially to the fund and other things that you were talking about. I, I'm going to encourage everyone, if you're not already a member of that and you're an accredited investor, go to street.com forward slash club 200, take advantage of the opportunity to be around other smart people and listen to Absolutely smart people, just like Ian, right now. Ian, if if the person who's listening to you wants to to connect, obviously you're in the community. But what would be other ways that they could get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, you can. I would just email me at uh, ian i a n at s p m advisors dot com, and I'm a very good responder. So very hyper responsive.
0: Yeah, I, I've noticed that. Well, man, Ian, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate you uh, sharing um, RV stuff, with Joey and I. And as always, thank you for listening to this episode. Please share it with someone who you know is interested in the RV space. Maybe they uh, they need to rent Joey's cousin Eddie out uh, and take it to one of Ian's parks. I don't know what Absolutely. it looks like.
1: Absolutely, that's a win-win. Yeah, yeah. You bring yeah. Eddie, we take we take
2: great care of you if you bring him. <laughs> wow. uh.
0: That's awesome. Well, well have, a, uh, have a great day. Thank you so much for, for joining us, Ian. Thanks for having me. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.